July 23rd, 2000. In What Lies Beneath, perennial hero Harrison Ford played the bad guy in a shocking twist for anyone who didn't watch the trailers. Kathy Lee Gifford left Regis Philbin's side on live. It was at least eight weeks until Regis noticed. Just when we had overcome the Macarena, an unseen force did the unthinkable and let the dogs out. But who? 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 Meanwhile, in Dallas, Texas, Chris Benoit challenged The Rock for the WWF Championship at Fully Loaded. Hold it in, little buddy. This is Hell in a Cell Phone. Welcome to another episode of Hell in a Cell Phone, the podcast where we attempt to make sense of the Attitude Era of WWE 20 years later. I'm your host, Aaron Benoit, joined as always by our wrestling historian, Bobby Hankinson. Hello. And experiencing this all for the first time, Eric Silver. Happy to be on the podcast with episodes of the length of Happy Hour at your favorite local bistro. And if you're at Happy Hour, just grab your friend's phone. Pull up our podcast and leave a little rate and review on there. He won't mind. So coming out around the exact same time as this, we also had a Pokemon Movie 2000. Um, and also in the top 10 were Scary Movie, The Perfect Storm, and the original X-Men movie. Well, so much here to unpack. First of all, did anybody <laughs> else go see this or learn this or hear it or read it when Aaron sent it, either one, and feel like... There is no way Who Let the Dogs Out came out in 2000. Like, it definitely came out in 1995. Like, I was like, <laughs> that wasn't out the two. Like, when you're like, oh, in the X-Men movie and Who Let the Dogs Out? And I was like, no, 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 no. I was like four when Who Let the Dogs Out came out. Like, it doesn't, it doesn't. And also, Kathleen Gifford left in 2000. It just feels like that was much sooner. That feels the, like it happened in the 90s. Like, to it, the feel, point it feels I, like the dogs have al- always been out. <laughs> I think I'm honestly confusing it with uh won't there it is i think like that's where it is because honestly the two songs have a very similar sound <laughs> and yeah, i think i'm tag team is them. now uh very very successfully uh doing that one commercial that it's so I good don't know, it's really good it's really every time it comes on I, it's one of the commercials i don't skip i'm like you know what this brings <laughs> me like a small amount of joy it's very silly and it makes me very happy and i can tell you like diff- and like Different weeks, different parts of that commercial will be my favorite. Like, I'll have different mo- Like, right now, it's when the two, uh, the couple's in the back, and they're kicking their feet together <laughs> with the dance. That's my favorite part right now. That I'm, uh, I'm sprinkles. Like, sprinkles is my favorite part. Uh, sprinkles are but good. Oh, so that good. fucking, uh, that first X-Men movie, which, I, I, I mean, definitely dated at this point. Definitely not up to the potential of what an X-Men movie could be. But hit a lot of things pretty head-on. Like, starting from that opening scene with Magneto's origin story and the casting in there. I mean, aside from uh, a certain actress who uh, lets us know what happens when a toad gets struck by lightning. <laughs> oh, no. I wish we can get that right. I wish we can get that part right. I feel like we will. Like, I feel like Storm is, like, whoever plays Storm next is just going to knock it out of the park. Will be the right person. I'm really, and this is, now we're just going on a complete tangent here, but I, uh, <laughs> on this podcast? No. Uh... <laughs> 
I would really, I'm really truly like waiting if there's a change.org petition or something I can sign to make it happen. But I would love to see Dominique Jackson from Pose play Storm. I think that she would actually be very good at mm. it. Uh, and the way she has a sort of like, I don't really like this affectation she ha- the character has, but I actually think it might really work for Storm and like add the regality that the part really requires. Um, and she would look fucking sick in any single Storm uniform yes oh my god yes um also important from this time we had the final episode of dilbert on july 25th followed one week later by the end of shasta mcnasty wow end of an era (laughs) yeah those those few weeks there i went through a dilbert phase i don't i don't know how to explain it uh, I don't, I can't really tell you much, but it feels like what happened was like at one point I like read some Dilbert and I might've like mentioned it to like an aunt or a grandmother. And then there was like an extended period where all I got was like Dilbert merchandise, like calendars, like page a day calendars, b- compilation books, uh, like candy dispensers, just like a lot of Dilbert stuff. And like, I, just I was like am- amassing Dilbert swag of being like, I don't care for this. <laughs> That I happened was... to me for for uh, like eight or nine years of my life, maybe even twelve, and it was with jigsaw puzzles, like uh, <laughs> to a to a degree where like family friends would just keep buying me jigsaw puzzles because they heard when I was like four I liked doing them, and so imagine being like a fourteen year old or like a fifteen year old getting another puzzle and being like I what do you no I won't I won't do any of these I have to protest. Now at this point, give me all the puzzles. I know. I, now I want them again. Uh, it makes no sense. <laughs> I was uh, I was a big fan of the the Dilbert comic strip, um, mostly just because I, th- I think there was a, a Calvin and Hobbes shaped hole in my heart that I needed to fill. So originally at Christmas every year, my mom would get me whatever the new Calvin and Hobbes collection was, and then once that was done, then it became the Dilbert one. So I have okay. maybe still have I. Yes, I still do. I just need to leave them sitting outside and let the the, the ants take them away or whatever. Uh, several Dilbert collections that are in my apartment with me right now. How do they hold up? Have you have you revisited them? Have you? Is that no. the next podcast? Is it? Here's, <laughs> yeah. here's what I'm going to say. Strip by strip. I, I'm going to say, well, yeah, I've never, I and I am seeing Dilbert for the first time. Um, <laughs> I'm going to say that, that uh, while... The, while Scott Adams has aged terribly as a person, right? Like okay. not not in terms of time, but just like as in terms of His everything. Brain he says is awful. Yeah, he's at, he, he's absolutely um, you know child brain. Like absolute makes no sense and just keeps going. Uh, I think that you know there was a time where everybody really liked Dilbert, and it probably had something interesting to say about corporate culture. I don't know. I know that like um, did did wasn't there like a Dilbert um, a Dilbert strip that was like burning at the end of like office space like when the when the building burned down. That's what I feel. I, think... I feel like it. Ha- I, I remember it kind of having of like, hey, the boss is actually an idiot, which honestly ties back uh, to <laughs> last week's episode, I believe. <laughs> Where we gave an inspiring TED talk about uh, uh, self-actualizing. Um, so anyway, uh, yeah, I thought like I remember kind of having that sort of like 
I, I, I could think I was probably drawn, especially at that time, just sort of like the smug, uh, like thinking you're so smart sort of humor of it. You know what I mean? The sort of like looking around like everyone else is the idiot. Very, very pre Daria. <laughs> It's insane to me that the the comic strip page still exists in the newspaper every day. You know what's funny? One of my parents' house was the only place I see a physical newspaper uh, in my life. I was I still yeah. I was at my parents' house last weekend. And I still pick up the the comics and read them. I still pick them up as if it's like and it, there's. I tell you, there's not a single funny thing in them, especially <laughs> in like my parents' like stupid suburban hometown paper. Like there is. What we do? Fucking like uh, chuckle at the Lockhorns? Like there's like I don't know. <laughs> there's it's unbelievable. How has that medium not evolved? Like we had an entire web comic revolution, you know? Like there's tons of uh, great art that could be. It, it just never modernized. Like how come? How come it never modernized? How do they never get new stuff? How is it the same thing forever since the fifties or whatever? Eric and I are actually talking about the Lockhorns last last night. <laughs> Oh, I mean, yeah, I feel like uh, the Lockhorns comes up a lot in my life. These days. <laughs> that the Lockhorns still exist, like obviously like problematic as hell, but it's also like so it's the dumbest, most derivative thing ever created. It's like it's a less funny version of the Honeymooners. Is that what you're telling me? Like it's like it doesn't make any it's, sense. Uh... I think they actually got divorced a couple years ago, so now the strip is just called Loretta and whatever the other guy's name is. I'm kidding. It's, oh, I was like, well, they should have gotten divorced, right? They're they're clearly miserable with each other. It's, it's yeah. Andy Cap without without a funny hat. Yes. I don't. I never read Andy Cap, so sure, maybe. Does uh, Andy Cap hate his wife? Andy Cap just always comes home drunk. That's the whole thing, right? He's like, I'm home yeah. drunk. And then they put him on those hot and fry things and vending machines for no reason. And I was like, this is like, why is, this? What is it the kids love? <laughs> Handicap. But goddamn, did it's, I buy the shit of them hot fries? It's like, oh, we're, we're coming out with a, with a strawberry park Pop-Tart. We're going to put Hagar the Horrible on it. <laughs> Another one, Doonesbury. Like, what? How? The, the, the print, I, I can tell you, print media is not doing great. I've spent the last 20 years in the... And it, it's not going great. Uh, so I, I don't understand how they can still be, like, fucking licensing Doonesbury. Gary Trudeau's going to ride that all the way to the bank as long as he can, though. However, I will tell you firsthand, working at, at several many newspapers, from the, the local tiny Bay Ridge whatever to, like, Boston Globe or whatever, it's always true at every single one, you fuck with the comics pages and you will never get phone calls like you will get. <laughs> and when I was an intern at the Boston globe in the living arts department answered all the phone calls for the department. So everyone that gave it to, so if they fucked up the funny pages or left something out or stopped carrying one thing and replaced it with something, it would ruin my week. <laughs> Damn. Yeah. It was brutal. Music from this time. We've got parachutes by Coldplay, which this seems too early for that. What a weird moment yeah, in time this is. that seems later. It's weird. <laughs> Who let the dogs out and parachutes? Happened at the same time? And that's the same crazy time. You? At the same time. The same month, both albums were released. That seems there, crazy. There's got to be like a looper thing happening, yeah. right? Is, is that what it is? We have uh, Art and Life from Beanie Man. Kill Switches Engages. Kill Switch Engages. Debut album. Songs from an American Movie Volume 1. Learning How to Smile from Everclear. Uh, oh boy. Who Needs Guitarists Anyway by Alice DJ, 
which I, after I, I read that name, then I had to go through a late 90s, early 2000s dance pop thing where it started with Alice DJ, then it went into uh, the Vanga Bus, then it went into Boom 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 by the Vanga Boys, which went into Boom 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 by the Out There Brothers, and I did not realize what a sexual song that was. Horoscope by Eve Six. And important and germane to our conversation, The Eclectic, Two Sides to a Book by Wyclef Jean, which was actually a pretty important album to me. Um, Wyclef's The Carnival was a very important album to me, um, really kind of opened the gates to hip hop for me. Um, his flow's a little uh, a little tired these days, looking back on it, but just its, its influence and in melding uh, world music in there. So this was an album that I was looking very much forward to from the moment that I heard that it was coming out. This is also important because on the lead up to this, on one of the Raws, we get the advertisement that on MTV we are going to get the premiere of the video for It Doesn't Matter featuring The Rock. Did this one hit on anybody else's radar back then? Mm-mm. I remember hearing it. Um, yeah, I I, I I don't know if I saw the video. I don't remember the video at all. I remember the song. Uh, the video, he's out in a club and everything, but the but the rock is on a, a TV with a white background and just will interrupt and say it doesn't matter repeatedly. Perfect. No notes. <laughs> this album, um. My my freshman year roommate in college, so, th- so this is just before I'm getting to college, but my freshman year roommate in college, he and I bonded over wrestling and Wyclef were, were two of the, the early things. But he had um, like certain websites that he would go to every morning, and one of them was Wyclef's, like the label's website. And it was at a time when websites would just start yelling at you and playing music like that oh, you yeah. didn't want if you didn't remember to turn off your speakers from the night before. And he never remembered to turn off his speakers the night before. Hmm. And it would just be the uh, the saxophone loop from It Doesn't Matter. <laughs> but moving into actual wrestling content, a lot of things are going on on the Raws and Smackdowns on the lead up here. Um Along with the Godfather Cat and Kyantai on various nights, on July 3rd, 2000, Rudy Giuliani and Terry Runnels were both at WWF New York on the same night, and I have a lot of questions about what they talked about. They also uh, advertised that it was Fleet Week and Terry was ready for all comers. Was that, the, Malen- exact, was that the exact terminology they used? <laughs> <laughs> Dean Malenko is also involved in a feud with Jackie and Ivory and letting them do some actual wrestling. Bob Holly broke his arm during a match with Kurt Angle on SmackDown on June 29th. There, uh, June, um, Angle hit, I believe it was a shooting star press that landed right on his arm. But most importantly at this time, during certain parts of the programming, a siren will go off and Stephen Richards, dressed as a Mormon, Mormon missionary, will run in. Uh, the first one, there was an over-the-top, off-with-her-top match between Dean Malenko and um, and the King. And they were representing Terry and the cat. And every time they went over the top, a piece of clothing came off. And just as Terry was about to reveal um, everything, Stephen Richards runs in and covers her up. 
He then turns his attention to the Godfather and the, the, the hose, um, literally covering them up with a sack. The second time, though, it happens, the Godfather chases him down, and Bull Buchanan, dressed the same as Richards, attacks the Godfather. So we're seeing the beginnings of a pretty important stable that's going to make a pretty big impact on a lot of the pay-per-views we're going to be watching going forward. I feel like I let a lot of information out right there, guys. Yeah, I probably honestly will only, I'll be like, as it comes up in, in our pay-per-view watching, I'll be like, what, what happened? And you'll have to re-explain it. So, <laughs> good, the good news is the audience can always uh, rewind by 30 seconds. <laughs> but that brings us to tonight, Dallas, Texas, the fully loaded pay-per-view, the last of the fully loaded branded pay-per-views. Looking a lot like uh, the AEW pay-per-views with a lot of gambling branding going on here. Yeah. Um, so are we ready to talk about um, the intro? Yeah. Um, so, okay. They are, you're right. They, this is very big on, on um, the idea of gambling. And, you know, they're talking about how basically like... Uh, wrestling is a gamble um it's a compulsive behavior it's an addiction it's an obsession it can destroy you um which are all i guess true things uh but then they're also like in this game you only get one opportunity objectively not true (laughs) like there are several rematches uh people come back all of the time uh and then they also talk about they say like uh and tonight those dice are fully loaded and i'm like do you know what fully loaded do you know what loaded dice means but you know what eric i i, I clocked the same thing i've got that note note on mine as well it says so they're cheating what they're doing is cheating but then pretty much most of the matches yeah they kind of are so yeah the dice are in fact loaded fully <laughs> yeah i mean you- yeah, I was going to say, like, I was like, okay, that's a pretty meta thing because, yes, everything has been written out. There is no chance. <laughs> You're right. They are loaded dice. But, like, I don't, I think they were hoping that they could get away with that and be like, oh, dice, uh, or, you know, fully loaded, gambling, loaded dice. This all works, right? No one's going to interrogate this. Yeah, there's well, not going to be, 20 years later. there's not going to be a medium <laughs> called podcasting where a bunch of obsessive dorks are going to pull through every single word that we fucking say. We need to show ourselves up against the podcast people. I want to talk about the triple main event. So aren't they really just saying we have three good matches leading yep. up to the end here? Okay, yep. There's only one main event and shouldn't you have a triple main event every time then? I mean, shouldn't the whole show be like a, a SEPTA main event or whatever? <laughs> but the thing is, though, the, the conceit for this, though, is that it's three established big stars mm-hmm. all taking on three newcomers. So there's it's it's a I mean, like, that's pretty cool. Like if they mm-hmm. did that today and it was like going to be like, you know, Roman Reigns versus Chad Gable. And you know what I mean? Like, it like uh, had a bunch of those unexpected matches. We'd be like, oh, that's kind of cool. That. Like, yeah. we'd be like really into that. Like, matches never seen, like, Ricochet and, and, and whatever. You know what I mean? Like, take on Bobby. I guess some of those we have seen. But uh, at that level, though, kind of give these newer talents a little bit more. Damian Priest versus Roman Reigns. That'd be a good one. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, that kind of stuff. Um, I think that is really exciting. That it's sort of like, these are like, you know, the, the talent pool is so deep. The year 2000 is, like, known as, like, the end-to-end best year 
there's like so much great stuff going on. Um, yeah, I think storytelling following uh, following WrestleMania 2000, which we we all said was was a letdown. The run up to and including WrestleMania X7 is probably the best time in W. Not probably is the best time in WWF history and WWE history as well. Yep, I a hundred percent agree with that. Like, it everything was you know, it was uh, must see TV. Like like the Raws and the Smackdowns at this time are so interesting. And I've been thinking so much because Raw and SmackDown right now are so skippable in in twenty twenty one that like I hardly watch them. I just read the recaps because uh, yep. they they're so Sometimes bad. Sometimes they don't even do that, and I just get to the pay per view, and there's still good matches. Like the pay per views, I think are still worth watching. But I mean, there's the way they just don't. They just don't make the characters like they used to. You know what they have to do? Obviously, they have to do more better storytelling and better creative. But I also think they need to do on the TV shows more matches, uh, more shorter matches, and more title changes. There's Mm -hmm. never title changes in the TV. It's so rare that it's like huge news. Back then, I mean, Mm -hmm. like Rikishi grabbed that IC belt, you know what I mean, on the Thursday before or whatever. You know what I mean? Like they're constantly uh, switching belts on TV. Um, I think it made it feel like really anything could happen, truly. Mm-hmm. Um, at any point, you can't miss it. And when you consider something like, uh, what was it, WrestleMania's backlash, first off, fucking stupid, but also that that was the first time I've seen the Dirty Dogs, um, <laughs> Bobby Roode and um, Dolph Ziggler, yep. because I don't watch the weekly. So that means I have not seen the SmackDown tag titles since what December or something like that, because they became the champions in January and they just didn't have that on there. Yeah. They just been on pre-show or they did, they were defending them like on uh SmackDown or whatever, but the tag team, I mean, this thing is like, everything is very, the mid card is thin and like WWE is like not doing a good job of like building new stars. And it's not the lack that's by no lack of talent. They have incredible, their talent pool is so deep, but they're just not, doing anything compelling with anybody and there's so much stuff in this paper that we can talk about of like examples of like wow this is great this is like good storytelling and this is really fun and this is um something we don't get now i mean yeah why don't we talk about um the building of two of the biggest women stars in the first match right here we've got How trish leading cool. out tna and we've got lita coming out with the hardy boys um bobby what about that uh that image from raw with um lita on the ladder and uh trish throwing her off through the table that was a sick bump i mean the thing about lita is that she's here for a good time not a long time when it comes to her style you know what i mean it's yeah. <laughs> like it's no wonder that she you know has has so many like injuries and things like that because she wrestled she put herself in crazy spots god damn no she does she not just look like the coolest person though i mean like just like watching this thing like, she came out i mean obviously the women were more over than the four guys in this match by far. Mm-hmm. And, and I mean, and the hearts are still super over and Lita is by far the most over person in this whole six person group. Oh, definitely. Um, and she, and possibly in the other group that she's involved in later, but she, which is why she shows up. Uh, but she just looks so fucking cool, like cool and doesn't give a shit. And like, just fuck man. I just like watched it. I was like, God, I just like, I love her so much. I was like, God, that character was just like, so amazing i know we have there's so much in the match to get into but like just the part where like the hardys rip off their shirt and she pulls off her shirt too but it she doesn't feel gross and like it's Terry. not and like exactly there's nothing sexual about it it's it's like it's she fucking badass is, in this fucking moment <laughs> yeah, she's, she's just a fucking cool. badass yeah. yeah she just looks super fucking cool and that whole fucking attitude like the whole she and that's her attitude the whole time and like the for you know they they're they're so 
you know, weird with intergender stuff, and there's so much, like, back and forth, and they're always so, like, when they do it, like, it's very, like, everything's like, oh, they're always very, like, uh, I don't know what the word, you don't even know what I'm thinking of, but they're very, like, make a big deal out of it. They're not skittish in this match about the intergender stuff, and that's what makes this so fucking great. And and Lita's, it feels it feels more realistic. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Because sometimes, like, with China, like, you you know, like, it's wrestling. And you know, like, mm-hmm. there is a where they're collaborating. And you kind of, like, see the seams a little bit with China. Uh, I think because she's doing a more power-based offense. But with Lita, this feels like I'm watching, like, um, Atomic Blonde, where it's like, oh, no, this is what a fight would look like. Like, this looks like a fight. And it's, it's I'm rooting for her. And she's kind of, she is this under, she's the underdog here. And she's, but she's fighting back and she's fucking doing insane stuff. The, that her Karana she did was amazing. Let me tell you. So I've been a teacher for 13 years now. The girl fights are the scariest fights because guy fights. When guys get into a fight, they're just um, looking to posture and looking to be the tough guy. So when the teachers get in between, there's a lot of, oh, shit, I would have fucked you up if he wasn't here. The girls, when they want to fight, they're ready to murder each other. So the idea of of someone like Lita, someone that fired up, ready to do a moonsault and hit me in the fucking head, Albert and Tess better fucking worry because she is out for blood. Yeah, that, that that's that's totally it. Because it's like that whole idea of like, you know, we talk about that, that you know, it's a hackney phrase that like fight like a girl sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And it's used so derogatory. But like there is sort of like its own power and strength to it and we should not normalize or have to constantly like uh lift up what's perceived as like male strength and male style of fighting but mm-hmm. this is like this this like that reminds me of like a, a fem- i felt like i was watching like more of like a female action star of like watching like a charlie's theron character totally uh, fighting like and it felt but it still like felt badass and brutal and exciting and athletic and unpredictable and all the stuff i get from from all the things that wrestling is supposed to give you i just and i just think she's so fucking cool i just she just like the attitude is so cool and there's there's some moments in here that that because of her energy that it pulls off like so much better i was just thinking um i think it was during wrestlemania's backlash how much tired i am um of the uh i'm on top of the ropes and someone else is on top of the ropes and now the the, the third person is coming in is going to do the suplex with with the them. tower of doom yeah the tower of doom all that kind of stuff but when they set up when it was the hardy boys and uh-huh. lita setting up that suplex there mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm, i think mm-hmm. it was was albert and trish it was fucking cool because yes. yeah i liked it and that's a great thing and like because the hardys were i think were already doing that like in their tag message. So then mm-hmm. to add this as part of it was such like a cool, was obviously like a very a nice thing. And, and Trish at this point for, you know, these are two hall of famers. Uh, Trish at this point though, was like still learning how to be a wrestler, you know, like mm-hmm. she don't know, like, and you could tell that she's obviously very green, but she also has so much um, star power and charisma mm-hmm. and is obviously very athletic and is also, even at this point, you can tell, fearless and like we're like in the ready to go like ready to go do her best even if like she's not doesn't have all the skill yet she's not timid she's not like even when you would watch like when they would make the cat and terry wrestle and there'd be like one scoop slam you know what i mean mixed in just to make it feel like a, a match uh it you know there's, there's a, there, it was tentative and it because they're not that's not what they're trained to do but i'm I'm going to make a sports reference, so you're going to have to stay with me for a second. But Friday Night Lights, the book, not the uh, the TV series, 
Friday Night Lights, the book, he mentions that there's nothing like high school football in Texas. And the reason is because these teenage boys haven't figured out like that they're um, vulnerable yet. And so they'll go that much harder and that much uh, that much faster. And so I think there's something to to these women who as as green as um, as green as Trish is, she's willing to go all out because she doesn't know that she shouldn't just yet. Yeah, I mean, she's learning on the job, and she's just doing. I, I think, like, I, I, she was obviously the weakest one in the match, and I think that mm-hmm. there's a. I, I think you know there was, the, and I thought Tess and Albert were actually great in this match, and it made me really yeah. uh, look back and be like, oh, this is actually the best test. Like Test and Albert were actually the Test's best work. He works so much better, he as as part of a tag team, um, than he does with with a mouthpiece that he doesn't have to talk. Yeah, yeah, no, he's. Uh... You know, basically, he's just doing what he needs to do. He's he's there to be like a a a glutton for punishment for whatever they dole out, and that's what I wanted from him. But also um, to fucking launch these these tiny boys that he's got on the other yeah. side. Yeah. Uh, by the way, there was there was one move that I thought was kind of funny. Uh, Matt Hardy was on the ground, and he had uh, I think it was Albert, and he had his feet on Albert's like um stomach and his and he had albert's arms and hit like his hands in his arms and then like you know albert gets out of it but i'm like wait why didn't albert let him like do the superman on him that's like such a fun <laughs> thing i'm flying and just just beautiful moves I, I i i spent most of the match looking watching lita as i'm, I'm sure you did too bobby the ddt that crossbody to albert the hurricane rana there, and then even, that beautiful moonsault but also that superplex was great. And considering, and I actually thought not only was a superplex a good superplex by superplex, I actually thought it was a exceptional superplex. Like using the superplex, it's very slow to go. Mm-hmm. They almost like float over backwards. This was like a snap superplex, which you don't see really. And especially considering Trish for, is yeah, not like an expert. It's even more like impressive that the timing of it they, they was so good. Uh, it was fucking beautiful. Yeah, and the moonsault. Uh, I, I love the way she does a moonsault. It's cut. It's like it's different. Like she doesn't really have. She doesn't have the arc to it that other people do, but it has almost like a snap, like a rubber band to it. Like it just like like she she snaps backwards. I think quicker. It feels like. And so Lita gets the pin. Uh, TNA do a post match match beatdown in order to save face. But I thought it was beautiful booking. I loved every second of it. Great, 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 great booking. Excellently booked match. Yeah. Uh, it's a, it was an awesome match. Um, there was so much fun going on and man, uh, I don't know. Is it better than, than one of the three main events? It might be. Oh, definitely better than one of them. Definitely better than one of them. Um, just a quick note. Um, I think it was during, what was the last one we watched? Back. Not backlash. That's King of the Ring happened in real life. Yeah, King of the Ring. King of the Ring. Um, I think feel like that was the first time that I heard them call a suplex from the top rope a superplex, but I could be hmm. wrong about that because there was a long time where Jr. was just referring to it to to as a suplex, and um, I feel like that vernacular might have uh, come in around this time. Listeners, if you know, let us know. Eric, how excited were you to see Mick Foley back? So excited. Uh, I I was like, oh, okay, this is where we start getting the, uh, 
you know, wrestler who is left now as the, as a as the commissioner again. Mm-hmm. You know, and it felt a little bit more recent, right, than like uh, Sergeant Slaughter. Right? <laughs> yeah, was, sure. But like, who, who basically they pulled him out of like the GI Joe movie or whatever he was doing. Um, also, Gorilla and, Monsoon. Uh, Don't forget Gorilla Monsoon. Also, uh, I guess he was the president, right? Not the commissioner. So hard to keep track of the uh, corporate <laughs> he's structure. Not, he's not just Can the I member. He's chart? also the president. Can I get an org chart in here? Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so the night after King of the Ring, Triple H obviously wants his title back and thinks he should be the uh, number one contender. But that's when Shawn Michaels comes out. He asks Shawn to make him the number one contender. Shawn says... He can no longer do that because Linda has named Mick Foley as commissioner. That night, we get a number one contenders match between uh, Triple H, Kurt Angle, who is just looks so fucking dumb and goofy in his King of the Ring outfit in just the the perfect kind of way, and The Rock. Um, and if The Rock wins, then none of them get to be the number one contender. Uh, the Rock does win. It's a very good match. But Mick is here. Um, oh, Mick also does a, an amazing It Doesn't Matter to The Rock, uh, which where Rock breaks character for a minute there. But he's, in, he's here now, and Edge is telling Mick that Christian has food poisoning and they cannot go tonight. From this, we go to uh, The Undertaker rolling in, late I might add, and chasing down Kurt Angle on a motorcycle. I don't get on time. <laughs> We know this. Well, now he's a badass, though. He doesn't have time for nobody. (laughs) He's a badass. This is is a a midlife crisis. He's in badass time, not funeral time. Those things always got to start on time. And then without a recap package, we get Taz versus Al Snow. And I'm not a huge fan of the character development they've been doing with Taz, but it basically just, like, shows up and beats up people for no reason, hits them with things, and uh, stops matches. But I did miss Head when Al came out with him. Taz at this time is, like, still kind of, like, struggling to find his way. Uh, He came in as this character, you know, that he was really doing in ECW. He's a human suplex machine. He's kind of, like, uh, he's, you know, not very big. uh, Mm -hmm. But he's a tough guy, and that's like, and he's really a tough guy. But he's also like, that's the character. But he also like was very weird when he started. He was like, my character doesn't run, my character doesn't sell. <laughs> so they were like, huh, um, <laughs> that's is not gonna work. Um, and he got a reputation in the back for taking himself too seriously. So the guys would all kind of like uh, rag on him a lot. Uh, I'm trying to think if I can remember any like the specific like uh, ribs. Oh, there'd be one that like uh, Bradshaw put like a some like a bandage on his shin. And was like, oh, sorry, I hurt my leg trying to leapfrog Taz. He caught his head. You know what I mean? Because he's so short. So there's like a lot of that. <laughs> I think um, Mosh of the Headbanger said that he's going to add a couple extra Z's to the end of his name. Because uh, his matches are boring. <laughs> <laughs> Man, why, why couldn't Mosh be that funny and, <laughs> when he was performing? Right. And meanwhile, Al Snow hasn't been doing much. There, there was a really funny bit where he's uh, reading a poem to Steve Blackman, kind of at the end of of their pairing. And Steve Blackman is the hardcore champion at this point, and a whole bunch of people just attack him with kendo sticks as Al Snow is reading the poem. And the end, he's like, "You weren't even listening, were you?" <laughs> okay. Yeah, there were. Okay, so one other thing I wanted to point out. Uh, I don't know if you guys mentioned this before at one point, and I just missed it, but. It was weird to me the branding of like of how they were doing the entrances because 
I didn't realize what the main event was going to be or what one of the main, one of the three main events was going to be. And when they said when they announced Taz and Al Snow coming out, they had like last man standing in, in like the words. I'm like, mm-hmm. is this a last man standing match? Like they just kept and then I was like, oh, they're just announcing it for everything. I, I thought the the uh, Lita and Hardy Boys <laughs> and Trish and, and TNA was also a last man standing <laughs> match. Yeah, it was it was, just super confusing. Yeah. Uh, I don't understand uh, why they need to continue to advertise the matches that are going to be happening that night to the yeah. people who are in people the stadium. People already bought it. They bought it. They're in. Maybe use those for like some extra screens so people can see better. I don't know. Just me. <laughs> um, and then, the idea, uh, though, the idea of a Taz versus Al Snow last man standing match—that's something I would have been psyched for. That would be great. I mean, I gotta say though, this—I mean, man, I fucking just sucked. Out. Yeah, this fucking this was the worst. And even like even the announced team was like not fun. I think Lawler made a joke about dialing nine one one donuts for like the Dallas like police. And I was like, this isn't even first of all, once you dial nine one one, you're already getting nine one one. Like you're not gonna be able to get to the donuts <laughs> part. It's not how phone numbers work, sir. It accomplished what it was supposed to. Taz looks like a tough guy, but didn't do anything for me. Yeah, I didn't like this one. Then we go to one of my favorite moments of the night where um, we we cut to the bathroom where Christian, we're we're hearing noises from inside. And then we we get a medical, Mick brings in a medical examiner in order to check on him. The medical examiner puts a flashlight in Christian's eyes and goes, in my medical opinion, I don't think he could go tonight. You looked in his (laughs) eyes. Listen, his eyes were dilated from food poisoning. <laughs> this is also the point where Harvey Whippleman delivers flowers to Stephanie. Uh, we find out oh, that she... It's a Japanese tradition. <laughs> <laughs> now you've got it. Yeah. <laughs> we find out that he she didn't check the card because she assumed that it was from Triple H. And Triple H gets annoyed that she didn't check the card because... Maybe I would have wrote something mushy on it if they were from him. What would be a Triple H mushy love note? Oh, man. Uh, Babe. (laughs) Your love uh, is like a sledgehammer. (laughs) Right. uh, I I pour you all over my head and then... (laughs) I uh, get a gulp of you and I spit it out. My love for you is as clear as the Poland spring bottle I walk out with. He's going to be like, <laughs> my love is like a roller coaster. Yeah, now I'm going to seal it, seal it with the kiss. I'm going to seal it, <laughs> kissing seal to seal it with a kiss. Swag, Triple H. <laughs> when, when we sit and have our snack, our, our uh, catering platters, <laughs> All I can think about deli is plates. being with you. My heart is as full as this deli, deli plate. <laughs> so then we go to the European Championship match. It goes without saying, Mamacita China looks amazing as usual. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not and Terry a- and Perry. Yeah, right. I'm not exactly what sure what Terry's allegiance to Perry Saturn is. A, must be a rhyming thing. Yeah. Also, Terry got extensions, and she cannot stop touching them. Like she, <laughs> I've never. I was like, 
either she's got lice up in there or like she just got them done and she's like uh, like feeling her full like big hair fantasy for the first time <laughs> like she just would not stop touching her it was driving me crazy uh, because they don't look good at these extensions they're they're not good they're not good and we get more weird uh heel shit out of Eddie who still maintains being one of the biggest faces in the company at this point yeah, but that's kind of his thing. I know that he's, which he's like, kind of he's like the rare, you know, the the face that cheats, which is like not something you see often. But uh, that's why he's, you know, a legend. He should take off his shirt. Mm-hmm. He's so cute. I love that hair. Once you got the haircut, I was like, okay, mm-hmm. okay, Eddie Guerrero, okay. <laughs> Wrestlers who who wrestle in shirts make me mad because if my body looked like that, we all know I would never wear a shirt. A hundred percent, never. But China's not the only one doing heel shit. We get a Lobo from Terry in here. Everyone's a heel on this one. And we get champion Perry Saturn. It was a fun match. It was a fun little match. It just, it you fine. know. I don't know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, whatever. I liked it better than Taz and Al Snow. Like, I thought it uh-huh. was markedly better than that. Sure. Um, Perry Saturn has exactly one storyline that got me interested. Mm-hmm. And this ain't it. Yeah. Following this match, Edge and Christian get caught in their lie. Food poisoning is awesome. Yeah, tell that to okay. tell that to Tori. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, so here's a question: um, Did Christian like? Because I was looking at what Christian was trying to shovel into that buck into that toilet from the bucket. It looked like he got a bucket of vomit. Like, what was? <laughs> He's committed to was the he milk. Like, did, yeah, was he like, look, it's not gonna, it's not gonna make any, it's not gonna sound right. Yeah, I, like he's kind of a foley artist, so he's like, it's not gonna sound right if I just do water into the toilet. He, I need something chunky. He went around the back and collected vomit from all the other wrestlers. Uh, they were trying to make weight, but you don't want to know what X Pac put in that bucket. Well, actually, you know how, uh, you know how the royal family travels around with like their own bags of blood. Uh, they used to draws used to come travel around with uh, side bags of vomit, and after he retired, they just kept the vomit. So they just have some some uh, you know unused stores of it. We'll go back. The royal family <laughs> travels with their own bags of blood. You don't know about so this? It, so just so like they, they can't take like they won't take commoners' blood if they need a blood transfusion or something like that. Absolutely correct. Yeah. Fuck them. I mean, also, also, this is not my joke, but uh, when they say their own bags of blood, that could just mean that they purchased the blood and now it belongs to them. Like what? There is no. Well, what I'm saying is there's there's no there's no guarantee that it's their blood. It it might be like the, you know, the human trafficking or or the young people that they've drained to to have. uh, (laughs) Oh, should I? allegedly they're coming for you are are, are the cops coming for you i don't know what's happening (laughs) no it's the royals they have a long reach no um i don't know that that was like a chapo joke that they where they Mm -hmm. talked about how like uh you know like sure they can call it their bags of blood i mean it might be the blood (laughs) of you know 
some young people that they're you know using to keep them show me the pictures uh, show me the pictures of harry <laughs> donating blood to the bank show me show me the pictures exactly. of william with his arm right. with a little bandaid on his arm and a, and a lollipop or whatever eating a cup having a cup of juice and a cookie show me <laughs> following this uh speaking of medicine michael cole asked taker's medical opinion on what he, is going to happen to kurt angle tonight Oh boy, man! Oh man! Yeah, please stop asking Taker questions. <laughs> yeah, I just—it's so funny because <laughs> he is obviously revered and he is has an incredible career and is obviously a legend and deserves you know all of the accolades. But it's not that he has no weaknesses. You know what I mean? It's not that there's <laughs> yeah. there's there's still I would say some room for growth. I want to say even so, like here's my Ted talk for this week's episode. Even the undertaker still has room to grow. (laughs) Forgive yourself. Uh, Because man, he sounds like a fucking moron, like an absolute fucking moron. And I think we can say with certainty and look, I've loved the last ride documentary. I love seeing him on broken skulls, but like I, when I hear stone cold, Steve Austin in real life talk, I'm like, actually he is surprisingly articulate and, and um, has like a depth and an internal life. I didn't, anticipate but when the undertaker talks i have the opposite reaction where i was like oh oh oh." so so there's no you you personally never read dante got it okay 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 well like like, okay but taker was good in saudi arabia wasn't he like uh uh was that saudi arabia where where did he and um uh that was uh down under kuwait i believe oh what are we talking about was that him him and vader oh I think that was Kuwait. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The interview. The weird interview thing. Yeah, yeah. Here's what I'll say. Nobody looks smart when they're packing a lip. Like, like, like you have chewing tobacco in your mouth and your, your, my estimation of your IQ just dips automatically. That's where they got the name, actually. Wait. Wait, so it was the ministry just like a very extended... Uh, amount of chew that he had in his <laughs> in his mouth, and there he's just like Midian oh, the higher power. <laughs> the higher power was Nicorette. <laughs> yeah, I I just like I just feel like it's like man, just recognize that if you're that you're going to throw Taker off of his game if you ask him a question. So just don't do it. It's like shaking the rope when he's walking along it. Like it always, it always fucks him up. He's not gonna, he can't adjust. Well, because then he sees Angle on his bike, and his like badass thing is he's gonna say that as he's off to kick Angle's ass is, "I'll be a dirty son of a." Yeah, right. Also, he, just, he... he talks like he's he's going out to like see what the what the high school kids are doing in his yard. Yeah. Yes. He's yes. still he's still trying to figure out this character though. So I will give yeah. him that. Yes. No, it does it get and also he was he's been a character that was dead this whole time and not really speaking anything <laughs> less than like absolute insane drivel. So I get it. fine. We'll give him the grace period, but at at this point in time, it's not good. Like it it's very not good. Uh and also like why why did he watch Kurt Angle fuck with his motorcycle for so long before like springing into action i was like watching it and i was like oh so the segment's just gonna fade to black i guess and we're just gonna find out later but it's like oh no then he started running eventually and i was like oh oh we're gonna do it now but like it just didn't make any sense because like he didn't react like he reacted like huh i got still on my bike and then like watched for a little bit that it was like 
that son of a, and then took off. And I was like, well, now he's definitely gone. I mean, like what? That doesn't, it just made no sense. What else didn't make any sense? Uh, Edge and Christians bringing up the JFK assassination. <laughs> that made total sense to me. I loved it. Like <laughs> nothing says nuclear heat, like talking about the time that, uh, that JFK, uh, what, how did he put it? Like, did he like, cause they were talking about like how Dallas teams got like Dallas teams can't win championships after they, like they, they, you know, can't carry championships for very long. And mm-hmm. then you also, this is also a place where presidents come to get assassinated. Is that it? <laughs> Something like that. And then he said, if, if JFK had to spend another five minutes in Dallas, he would have killed himself. <laughs> Probably true. And then you have Bradshaw coming out criticizing Edge and Christian's cheap heat by getting the cheapest heat in the world. <laughs> yes. yes. I'll tell you, if Dallas Cowboys have five chips, Dallas starts for. Emmett Smith is my. Well. My godfather. I didn't know this clearly, and before I did my research, it's not something I would know. I'm not proud to know it now. In fact, as soon as this podcast is over, I'm going to do my best to purge this information from my brain, which is that uh, I think at some point he said Texas has won every national championship there is, uh, and that is yeah. not, that's not true. They didn't. They didn't win. Um, <laughs> they hadn't won a World Series at that. No, there was no Texas. They hadn't even made it, I think, to the World Series, apparently, in a, at that point when this was done. But they hadn't won a World not- Series. Which is a pretty big Wait, one like, to miss. Not uh, not any of the teams because there's no. a couple teams. Nope, not Astro, not the Astro. I think not the Astros. Not I. I, I read not this the in Rangers. my. I, yeah, I read this already. So I, I, I look. I'm just repeating it. I again. I certainly didn't know it from like lived experience. So uh, if it is wrong, I also don't care, and I'm going to again purge this from my mind when we're done recording today. Uh, but that was. Um, the, I'm I came surprised across. that Bradshaw isn't big on facts. That's weird. <laughs> Um, also that kind of, that almost felt like a shoot to me. It felt like Bradshaw was kind of like, like, like he just got angry and like, was like really angry. I don't know. Maybe it's just good acting. I'm not going to let those Canadians come to his state and talk that kind of shit. This is a fun match. It's not my favorite from either team, but it's fun. God, what a great tag division, yeah. though. It's like you can't. It's mm-hmm. like just, just fucking great. They gave us everything. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like two totally different styles, a totally entertaining match. They both brought a little bit. Bef- they gave us a little character work. Can't ask for much more. And Christian, um, I, I don't think I realized just how good a seller he is until this one. Christian's the better worker than Edge. I, I think. I think. I mean, going. Everyone always said that. I didn't get it because I think as a kid watching it, not like understanding. Again, like I don't understand like the art of wrestling and like what's really mm-hmm. going. Like knowing loosely that it's how how it works, but not really appreciating the artistry. I never really got it. It was like obvious that Edge was such a bigger star than Christian, and he is. But Christian's the better worker. Uh, just a quick disclaimer for the audience. Um, I, I have new neighbors. They've been putting hanging things up. So if you hear a, a ro- low rumbling in the background, it's either that or the Undertaker on his custom Titan mic- motorcycle. But which so Undertaker? The other problem- <laughs> oh, there's many in the world. Um, the other problem with the neighbors is every time they hang something up on the wall and it's a little bit crooked, they call the police. And that's why the sirens come through. <laughs> they dial 911 donuts. <laughs> <laughs> I I do did love though um if if I can 
cut to the end here. Edge getting the referee's attention to grab the belts and hit and get the DQ to get out of the match. Yeah. Yeah, it was, it, was, it was a fun match. Also, and I don't know if this was intentional, but I do think it like plants a little seed for later in the evening. There's like a nice little, like, you know, not exactly a, a callback, but mm. it feels like it's like planting a little seed to remind, mm-hmm. keep the audience. I, a lot of times I feel like wrestling does this and maybe because they think their audience is stupid. Uh, <laughs> but they, I feel like if there is even something like that, there's always like a reminder of that rule or something earlier. If it's going to like come, you know, it's Chekhov's <laughs> fucking uh, DQ finish or whatever. Well, they do have more than I would say the average amount of storylines that they're kind of juggling throughout the evening. Yeah, for sure. For a pay-per-view. And I really like that about this pay-per-view. Uh, and I think the best ones, the best pay-per-views we've seen always have that in common. Mm-hmm. We cut to uh, WWF New York where Big Boss Man is checking IDs. And then both Triple H and Undertaker are looking for Kurt Angle. Once Triple H finds out that it was, uh, or I'm sorry, once Triple H reads the card and and thinks that it is him who is sending all of those uh, flowers to Stephanie. Why so many flowers? Just like one set of, you know, like one bouquet is fine. Why do you have to just keep sending flowers? That's like weird, man. Kurt, though, finds The Undertaker and hits him in a knee with a wrench. And that thing must have blown up to the size of a basketball. It was Kurt Angle in the parking garage with the wrench. (laughs) With the wrench. (laughs) Next match of the night for the Intercontinental title, we got Rikishi and Val Venus in a steel cage. This was super fun. I did not expect this to be as much fun, and boy, was it fun. Yeah, I um, I, I did like it. Well, I mean, man, it went to a real height, you know. Pun intended, but it, yeah, I, I was like, it got me more into it as the match progressed. These guys I can was, both go. I was so impressed with Rikishi's ability to to sell that clothesline. I, I mean, it shouldn't at this point surprise me how agile he is, but it still does. Yeah, I wish. I mean, like you know, the thing with Valvinus is obviously he's kind of between gimmicks right now, and mm-hmm. you know, a lot of questions about like, well, what is he going to be without the porn star? Can you ever get the porn star off of him? Basically, like you know, because he's good. He's he he's mm-hmm. good in the ring. Fucking uh, King, what what happened to this hair? <laughs> Jr. giving him absolutely nothing. Just goes, well, King, I assume he got it cut. <laughs> it's like how the other day my mom said to me, "So are you not cutting your hair on purpose?" <laughs> <laughs> or, or, or are you not cutting your hair for some reason? And I'm like, what? Uh, because I'm not cutting my hair. What the fuck do you mean? Like, well, that's a weird question to ask. Are you uh, afraid that you'll lose your tremendous strength if you cut it? Yes. How else am I going to kill the Philistines? Can you break a count with a rope break in, in a steel cage match? Hmm. So uh, I would think no. Uh, I would think Rikishi's would be, uh, on no DQ. yeah. Rikishi's on Val, and um, Val gets his foot up on the ropes. Oh, and it you stops got the, the count. I think you could stop. I, I, I not. Uh, I think you could for a pinfall, but probably not for okay. a submission. I would think. I would think so, but I was okay with it. I liked that. Uh, I mean, obviously, we needed to keep it going, but mm-hmm. I like that moment. So I. We all had something. You you guys go first. And then we all got to talk about just 
the uh, moment of the match where Rikishi climbs to the top of the cage and just does an incredible splash onto Val Venus. People lost their goddamn minds. I mean, that's a 400-pound man walking around up there. That's crazy. Yeah, it looked it looked dope. Um, I've never seen Val Venus bleed before, and you know I'm sure it was a cutting job, but yeah. like it was it was it was cool. It was intense. There was a lot going on. Uh, again, we had then we had another reappearance from Lita to take out Trish, accompanying Val Venus, getting um, revenge for the uh, whipping uh, of the of, with the belt. Right, and then Dum Dum Taz has to show up at the end for no fucking reason. No reason whatsoever. Yeah, yeah. And then get tangled in the camera wire and act really mad about it the whole way back to the locker room. (laughs) He's a little bit like like Benny Hill. He just pops up out of like, you know, like there's like three barrels and Taz pops up out of one of them and (laughs) just causes mischief. Um, I want to say, by the way, uh, I feel like this is something I've noticed with Rikishi's... um, with the stink face move that Rikishi has. So earlier Rikishi that from what I've seen, uh, he would set people up in the, in the corner of the, of the ring uh, for the stink face, similar to how uh, six Pac. Oh oh my God. X Pac. (laughs) Wow. Uh, Sorry. My WCW days are coming back to me for uh, (laughs) similar to how X Pac would set up the Bronco buster, Right. right? Like, that's it was like this I'm going to do my move on you this is going to happen. Uh in the last few pay-per-views I've watched with Rikishi now what it seems like is happening is the you know they're they're fighting it out somebody gets hit and they fall they go they're like just happen to fall against the corner like out of exhaustion and then they just kind of like fall of their own accord because they're just so like exhausted and and worn down and then it just like suddenly occurs to rikishi it's like mm-hmm. he like it's like his nose rises in the air it's like he can smell that somebody is sitting down in a corner and he like turns and the whole crowd freaks out about it and then he gives the stink face it's a it's a slight change to how that move is being administered yeah it's definitely like weird wrestling it's like one of those things like a world rule of wrestling that doesn't make sense in reality it's like this would never happen like in a conflict or, <laughs> or, or a contest like this uh but it's just one of those things that happens in wrestling kind of like the worm and the people's elbow like it's just like it is a thing that happens and uh yeah i i think the move got over so much that they just kind of like milked it the same way they sort of milked the 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 worm and the people's elbow so it's like a long it's like a longer more drawn out experience it's like edging it's like just bringing it a little build a little bit more build for a bigger payoff <laughs> Yeah, it's it's like it's like the the later rounds of Duck Duck Goose where you just go duck, you say duck for like four rotations and then you hit say goose. After this we go backstage where Undertaker erases the sign that lets you know how many days it's been since the last accident. That that is technically the first accident, right? <laughs> like you're supposed to wait for the accident to actually do it. I feel like he's a little bit ahead of himself. Um, and then Harvey Whippleman lets Triple H know where the person who is sending the flowers is, and it turns out it is Jericho, and I think that this is a very smart payoff to yes. this, this story. I agree. 
and really, um, we're starting to see a little bit more, at least in the buildup of this, a little bit more of that cerebral assassin kind of uh, of Triple H that um, I guess I undervalued the first time around. Um, there's a moment where he needs to get Jericho, but Mick has told him that if he goes after Jericho, he will um, he'll lose his match. And so he had, try, has Stephanie try to lure him out. Jericho realizes that it's trying to lure him out. He and X-Pac get into a fight with it. They challenge each other to a match. And during the match, he does a run-in. And that's when Road Dogg shows up with the, the sledgehammer. So they're they're playing a lot more smart with, with what kind of a setup would be in these kind of situations. Wait, can you walk me through, though? Okay, so um, obviously when I was watching this part, I was not aware that that um Jericho and Triple H had the like that they were one of the big matches. I mean, mm-hmm. I knew there was going to be a last man standing match. Thank you for the to the Titan Tron for that. Right. But I was not aware of who would be in it, mm-hmm. which is probably a shortcoming. Yeah. Um but okay, so Jericho is sending flowers and Triple H is I forget. So Triple H goes in, does Jericho beat up Triple H or just Triple H beat up Jericho. Jericho beats up Triple H. So he's been right. in, in so, wait, look, trying to soften up Triple H for the match. Right. Okay. So this was Jericho cerebral assassinating, assassinating Triple H by, there, by suckering there, him in. There are cerebellum assassinations going on all over the place. Yeah. It's spy versus spy. Exactly. Less smart, Shane McMahon comes to the ring, challenges The Rock as an excuse that Benoit can rip up The Rock's $500 shirts. Oh, God. Do you do you think that, like, at some point, at one point when Shane was like, I'm going to wrestle, he was like, cool, so do I get ring gear? And they were like, nope. <laughs> He's like, but... Like, everyone else has really cool ring gear. Like, I'm your son. Yeah, you can wear, like, shoes and pants. You're going to wear the shirt of the guy that you hate the most at that point. Yeah. Right. It was also a little little embarrassing because it was, like, The Rock and Shane and who wore it better. Uh, (laughs) And we all know the answer to that always. Yes. And then in the build-up for the first of the main events, it was very, very funny to see Kurt Angle throwing milk and food at The Undertaker's motorcycle. Oh, I had a question before that though. When mm-hmm. Benoit is ripping up, uh, is ripping up the rocks, um, uh, clothing. What is he pouring? Is that motor oil? It looks like, like the stuff. It looked like detergent to me, and it's like thanks. Is <laughs> wait? Is Rock doing wash and fold at the uh, at every stadium they go to? I thought he was gonna light that shit on fire. To be honest, that was like what I was waiting for. Would have been better. Would have been cool. Instead, he's like, and now I got your stuff messy. <laughs> Goodbye. But then we've got Kurt Angle versus The Undertaker. Um, but you hear Kurt Angle versus The Undertaker, and it's not the match that you want it to be, but it's the ad- match that I think that it needs to be for this, but clearly the weakest of the main events. Yes. Yeah, I'd say. Honestly, I like the package before the match, right? You were mm-hmm. alluding to it before I, I, I interrupted. But, uh, like, all of that stuff, that lead-in stuff looked really funny. I like mm-hmm. that he, like, I guess he was just, like, celebrating with milk, and he 
was it scare quotes accidentally messed up the taker's bike i can't really tell i don't know it was on smackdown so i just heard heard about the aftermath in, in watching the raws on the lead up but and, uh, but and kurt then... angle is going to have uh, a lot of history with milk moving forward yeah i think i i think i saw something in uh in something you know i saw a future thing that i i can't erase from my brain um and then i like that he brought out that like the little scooter i thought that was funny again all package stuff mm-hmm. but like i loved it uh i it also looked like he poured christian's puke bucket on taker's bike hmm. like I, I feel like they're using the same buckets for things uh and most importantly, he hit Undertaker in the head with a sledgehammer when attempting to hit Triple H. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, oh, I also like that when uh, Angle is, is walking out, he does a little bit of a Gilberg at the fireworks. <laughs> Things I do like about this match, I do like Undertaker um, going for the pin and then deciding that Angle hasn't had enough punishment. Yeah. Yeah, I think he's still feeling out this character. We'll get there eventually. Mm-hmm. It ain't there eventually, yet. he becomes a guy who's like, uh, no, 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 this is the right amount of punishment. <laughs> <laughs> but then we see the last ride, the new finishing move. Yeah, I was surprised by that. It's a it's a power bomb, huh? Yep. But okay. I mean, it's a power bomb from seven feet in the air. And you might call it a, a high angle power bomb because there is it. He, he takes some sort of like almost off the. He like, um, if you were doing a regular power bomb, the guy's shoulders would probably be even with the top of your head, whereas the last ride, the other guy's shoulders would be like your arms would be extending to be holding them out. So he's getting like probably an extra whatever your arm length is of height. Oh, I figured it was a high angle power bomb because it was Kurt Angle who was in it, <laughs> and he smoked a bunch of weed before the match. Yeah, <laughs> famously, right? High, that's why he can't wrestle. Slam. He can't wrestle. Yeah, he, he can't wrestle in the Olympics anymore. His pee isn't clean. I felt like we might have seen uh, the birth of the first Smark during this match with the one guy who's chanting "Angle rules" as everyone is chanting "Angle sucks." <laughs> ha. But I don't have much else to say about this. You guys? Nah. No, I actually want to talk. I have a. I have an observation about the Triple H package. Uh, before we get to that, though, The Rock is surveying his de- destroyed clothes and angry. He's going to have to wash whatever that thing was that was poured out. I don't know. Or, or maybe he just has to add water because maybe it was already detergent. No one can tell. And then we have the package for... The only last man standing match on the card. Sorry, Eric. What'd you yeah. notice? Um, I think it's very funny that they like they somehow edited together all of the different times that Triple H has asked Mick for Jericho's ass. <laughs> yes. <laughs> he has one way of phrasing things. And I he want just Jer- says it over and over. <laughs> I want Jericho's ass, 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 ass. <laughs> I want, want, want. He <laughs> can, they could they could do it like the way that they do those commercials where they have like 18 actors all saying the same line, but they cut it. So they're like, I want Jericho's ass. And they can do it from all the different angles. Yes. So this is only the second last man standing match, which makes me realize I can never tell what like hardcore rule match they're doing. Cause I could have sworn that one of the uh, triple H versus um, 
Cactus Jack matches was a last man standing, but I guess it was just a street fight. Yeah, I also I I didn't understand why there are no submissions in a last man standing match. Like, do you just I mean, at a certain point, can't you submit a person until they are no longer standing? I mean, is it just like you can put them in a hold, but you have to just knock them down and give them a chance to get up. Well, yeah, I mean, that's just a it's it's something else that's chipping away at them. And I thought that the the submissions and the taps during the submissions were one of the cooler aspects of a very good match. An extremely good match. One of the best like this is like on a lot of people's lists of maybe not the greatest, but definitely in the conversation. And definitely a turning point for both of these two guys' career. Um, Jericho had been building a lot of momentum now, finally, after kind of having a rocky start. Triple H has been, like, chipping away and chipping away and chipping away, and people have been saying for so long that his matches are boring or whatever, and now we're finally seeing, over the year 2000 especially, Triple H really step into his own and getting to see how fucking good he is. Mm Mm-hmm. I felt a little bad for the Spanish announcers in this who had their table broken so early in the night, and then they just don't get a table for the rest of the time. Yeah, if I were them, I'd at least just bring a little setup of my own. Like a TV tray? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Something to put the monitors on. And the candy dish. Um, I feel like I'm a, a broken record tonight, but Jericho sells so good. Yeah. Did you guys notice that that he, like, the first pedigree he had done to him, he kind of, like, put his knee down in, like, in the in the application of the pedigree? Like, Jericho had it, like, he... I did see that, yeah. He, I, was that a botch or what? I don't know. That? I don't know what that was. I did see, and I noticed it, though. Yeah, because, like, it wasn't a counter, because he looked like he took the pedigree and he bounced and whatever. Um, but it was a weird thing. Um, I also, I, I thought the ref reminded me of Marty Funkhauser. <laughs> Anything in his mannerisms or just the overall look? I think it was kind of his mannerisms. At one point he was yelling at, um, at, uh, uh, Triple, Triple H. H you don't, you don't push yeah. me kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. And like, who was it from, from that? Was angle, it, uh, kind of had a, was it Mike Chioda? I'm not sure. I can't I remember now. So. Nah, no worries then. But so many just like monster shots on each other. The walls of Jericho is as um, Triple H is just leaking blood everywhere. Just just like rubbing blood into the fabric of the mat. Yeah. Triple H bladed, right? Oh, oh yeah. A hundred. Yeah, that was because uh, like they were like they they like hit him with a chair and then they just focus on uh, on on Jericho and I was like okay okay I see what you're doing here. What did you guys think of Stephanie's involvement in it? I think I think when she's uh, when she was put in the walls of Jericho, she looked like a toddler who was told that they're leaving the playground and didn't get a proper five minute warning. <laughs> she was just like doing a like just having a tantrum as 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 her suffering. Honestly. I agree, but I I was almost glad for it. I was like, I hate this. Let's make it stupid because I I would rather you not make it realistic. I like I don't want to see her like suffer. You know, and not that I'm saying that's what you are saying you want to see, but I I I'm saying I appreciated though the the sort of the 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 ridiculous and campiness of it because I think it took a little of the edge off something I, I that would that otherwise makes me even more so uncomfortable. 
especially when you consider the fact that this whole rivalry comes from the fact that Jericho forced a kiss on her at the last pay-per-view where him being in the face role is something that I'm still a little uncomfortable with as far as the dichotomy of this. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. I mean, look, uh, I, I think one of my favorite parts was at the end of the match when like Stephanie is like trying to, to, see to her husband but very clearly does not want to deal with all the blood on her hand like she's trying to she's literally trying to wipe it off on his on his body because she's like this is so fucking gross did, did you guys think that fred durst was in the audience uh at d- no. during the final the final pin was there a fred durst lookalike there was, was a guy a fred who durst? looked a lot like fred durst i don't know man uh, backwards it, red yankees cap and all uh, he, he just like had that like scrawny white dude, white guy thing. And maybe like a little bit of like, um, you know, the chin hair and he was like mugging for the cameras and he did have a hat. It was not a backwards hat, but like, oh, no. it was right when they, when he, when they were being counted and he was just like doing his thing, like trying to, trying to get in there. I was like, he might be Fred Durst. <laughs> I didn't clock it. Sorry. Shall we to the main main event? Let's do it. Let's do it. No, I already said it, so. <laughs> Damn it. Oh, well, then never mind. Let's not do it. And this is just another really good, really solid match between two very good workers. And a good package. That package had great music. It got me pumped. I don't know who's talking about Chris Benoit. Um... Like, I don't know whose voice that is, but uh, I don't know. They, you know, the O Fortuna always works. Um, I was like, I'm ready. Let's see this shit happen. The thing I like about this match and that that didn't really get brought up in um, in the package or even really in the build so much, despite the stipulation on here, is there are two times on the Raws on the lead up here, one where he's up against Eddie Guerrero and the other where he's up against Val Venus, where a disqualification from someone else's interference leads to him um him winning but not gaining the championship and i think that when i don't really understand it's something that must have happened on smackdown why the stipulation that if the rock gets disqualified benoit will get the championship is something that they're even doing here yeah i don't know on this one i was confused by that as well i wonder if uh you know they were trying to plant that swerve Mm mm-hmm Oh, we'll definitely try to, pl- to to plant the swerve for sure. Um, early on, Rock trying to go for the crossface, I thought was uh, a really good touch early on that pays off as it goes. What was Shane doing when Rock was trying to put on the figure four? Jumping rope. <laughs> uh, Doing his little boxing you know, dance or hop- whatever. Yeah, hopping back and forth, uh, floating like a butterfly. <laughs> Non-wrestling, well, I mean wrestling-related, but non-technical uh, aspect. At what point, when you're in the audience and you've paid a lot of money to sit very, very close, do you just rip the sign out of the child's hand that continues to put it up? And the only thing that they're, that this child is trying to express is, I love The Rock. Wait. You love The Rock, too? Oh, my God. 
or that this is Rosalia beneath here. Yeah, it's just super annoying. It's like, uh, look, if you have a good sign, that's one thing. But also, you know, you look at where you're sitting. You've already gotten that sign out. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, like acknowledge that you've had your sign time and then put the sign away. That's it. Sign time is over. So this does get screwy here um, where sh- uh, Shane brings in a chair, hits Earl Hebner in the back with it. Rock has the chair and decides that it's the Rocks. Despite the fact that most referees, it's like, if I didn't see it, you didn't do it. And despite the fact that it makes no sense for the Rock to hit Earl Hebner with a chair during this match, he calls it. As um, as the Rock has Benoit in the crossface. Now, I, is I, there... I like to think... Oh, I was going to say, I like to think of it as... Uh, Earl Hevner like like literally blacked out and lost time, and so he didn't realize that like three minutes had passed since he'd been hit, and that Rock would probably not still be holding the chair. So he's like, "Oh, that just happened! It was the Rock." And now Benoit frantically waving his finger when uh, he's in the crossface is that a signal of submission that I'm just not aware of? No, I think it's the opposite. I think he was being clear that he's like, I'm not submitting. Okay. I'm merely okay. struggling. Got it. Got it. Because when it called for the bell, I was I, I was a little confused as far as, as that there. But then Angel McFoley coming in, restarting the match, and that Rock's look and that bring yeah. it was fucking good. And this one ends with a rock bottom and the Rock wins. And they all lived happily ever after. And I'm very excited. We know that his opponent for uh, SummerSlam is going to be Kurt Angle from winning the King of the Ring tournament. Which, again, bring back the King of the Ring tournament, put it in June, have the winner, get the match at SummerSlam. These things write themselves. Anyone else have anything to say on this? Solid pay-per-view. Uh, this is one, listeners, if, if you're looking to pull up, I would say pull this one up. I think this is like oh, a yeah. fun one to drop into, and there's a lot of good mm-hmm. stuff here. A lot of, like, the things are really starting to cook now, and end-to-end, it was a fun show. There definitely were high points and low points, but uh, overall, this was I, re- I enjoyed this one a lot. Even the, the lows, last two... Even the lows, I feel like, accomplished something, though, so the, I'm willing to give them a lot more. Yeah. Not yeah, everything was last, great, but last... it was good. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, the, I was just going to say the last two pay-per-views have really like, you know, after after we we wallowed in several pay-per-views of just pure clunkers, um, the last couple pay-per-views have just been like, you know, like they've had some excellent moments and then they've then like even their low moments are like not that bad. You know, like when you've got two hours and 40 minutes and you know, okay, you've got a couple runners, but they're at least building towards something, you know, like the, all the, you know, the, mm-hmm. uh, the segments, the interstitials. Um, okay, so the other clunkers are like, what, like Taz and Al Snow? That's not mm-hmm. that bad. That's yeah. a pretty good totally. record. Exactly. Agreed. And we're all agreed, but one more thing left to do. For years, WWE hosted a yearly award show called the Slammy Awards, and we end each episode of Hell in a Cell Phone with our own version of the Slammies in a segment we call For Your Reconsideration. I'll go first. I'm going to give the Slammy for uh, He's Got Andy Cohen Eyes to Perry Saturn. 
Because <laughs> all I can think about, like, I was like, he looks like Andy Cohen. It's like a little cross-eyed. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I, fi- I find it actually endearing. Okay. <laughs> uh, I'll go next. Uh, I'm going to give the uh, you, sir, or no Bobby Hankinson to uh, Jerry Lawler, who says he prefers long hair on men. <laughs> Keep him. Except Bobby Hankinson, long hair, short hair doesn't matter if it's Jerry Lawler. That's true. I'm uh, putting my finger firmly in my collar and going, ooh, as I give the On the Nose Award to Chris Benoit, who literally had blood on his hands as he was applying to the Crippler crossface to The Rock at the end. Yikes. Exactly. Love us? Disagree? Want to give us food poisoning? Let us know. Email us at helenacellphone at gmail.com. Get updates on Facebook or Twitter at Pod, or tweet at us individually. Eric at Prime Silver, Bobby at Bobby Hank, and Aaron at Slow Pass. Our theme song is There Are Traitors in Our Mitts by Disco Vietnam, and our art is by Alexis Yavni. Find links for both in our episode notes. Please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll be back again with another episode. We'll be back again with yes, another sorry. episode. We'll be back again. (laughs) It's so late, you guys. We'll be back again with another episode next week. And join us again soon for SummerSlam 2000.